Please open your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 16. I want to thank Elder Zinke for his message last week from the book of John and for uh, the blessing of that, also the blessing of sitting with my family. So thank you. I enjoyed that as well. And Jared, happy birthday to you. You're, he knows the exact time he's born. Man, he's a better dad than I am. I, I got the general range, but... John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus said to us, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This statement can feel a little bit like when our parents told us when we were young, that shots were no big deal. It'll just be a pinch and then it goes away quickly. All the while you're looking at that needle, looking back at them, thinking to yourself, liar. <laughs> I know because when I say it to my kids, it's no big deal, it's just a shot, just a second, it's no big deal. It might not even hurt, I sometimes say, barely hurt. I know they're looking at me thinking, stop lying to me, Dad. In this world, you will have trouble. Sometimes it feels a little bit like that when then Jesus says, but take heart. It's just a pinch, but take heart. It gets better. We know what trouble feels like in this world. Death of a spouse, death of a child, death of a parent, death of a friend. Divorce, debt, depression, disease, both physical, bodily disease, but also the disease of the social ills of our society, the greed, the oppression. We know what trouble looks like in our world. All of you understand trouble. But Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And a few verses earlier, Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He said this, though, over 2,000 years ago. That pinch that seems to be happening for just a moment seems to be taking an awful long time. And there are a lot of folk that have a hard time believing in the midst of all the trouble that their sorrow will really turn to joy. There's a lot of people that struggle especially maybe at this season, uh, with the idea of taking heart in the midst of challenges. They are like our kids getting shots who, who have a hard time believing us when we say, oh, the shot will only hurt for a moment, but then it will go away, and it, it's not really that big a deal. So how can we trust Jesus? How do we trust Jesus? Because it can be challenging when he says, you will have trouble, but take heart. It gets better. Take heart. There's something more coming. How do we build that trust? Well, what builds trust? Trust is built upon 
our, our, our past experiences with someone. Trust is built upon our, our past knowledge, the knowledge we have about, about previous events and, and previous happenings of the one who is making the promise. Trust is built upon the relationships that have been developed and what we've observed over history, and, and, and that builds our trust. I got a phone call this week from a 559 number. Uh, 559 is the area code of where I used to live in um, in, in California, and I didn't recognize the number, and everybody that I thought want, I wanted to call me, I thought was in my phone already. So I wasn't sure who was actually calling me, but I decided to pick up the phone, and it was someone asking for a reference for a Vicki Stewart. Now, I know Vicki Stewart very well. She is my mother. And so they're calling me to ask for a reference. I thought it was funny that my mom had put me down as a, a reference. I didn't know you could actually put down family members, and I don't know if it's always safe. You've heard some of my stories. I don't know if it's always safe to put me down as a reference. But they were calling me because my mom volunteers uh, weekly at a Methodist church to care for their kids while uh, there's a Bible study fellowship going on, the Women's Bible Study Fellowship. So my mom goes over there and helps, just volunteers her time to take care of the kids. And the lady asked me, do you think she can be trusted with kids? And I said, yes. And she says, what have you observed that would give you this trust? I said, well, I'm her son. <laughs> and she said, oh, okay. Um, she said, so you have confidence that she's okay with kids? You, you could tell they're just reading off their list there at that point. They don't have. And I said, well, I trust her with my own. And I said, and I'm still alive, <laughs> which is no easy feat. And, uh, and so I said, yes, I, I trust her. What happened in the past builds trust for the present. I trust my mom explicitly with my kids and implicitly with my kids and implicitly with, with anyone else's kids because I have a trust that's built over past experience and things that have happened in the past. In this world, you will have trouble, but the Bible tells us, or Jesus told us, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How can we trust this? How do we know? I would say Christmas. Every Christmas is a season of trust building, is a reminder that we can trust. I know that some of us thought that Christmas was about the lights and the gifts and the chocolate and the warm drinks and the fellowship. It is actually a season that is a great opportunity to remind us that we can take heart as we wait upon the Lord. Because Christmas is the culmination of another long season of waiting. Christmas is the, is the fulfillment, the, the, what we recognize at Christmas, not Christmas itself, of course, but what we recognize at Christmas is the culmination of a season of waiting. What is that statement, that, that, that great statement that Ellen White uh, said? The only thing we have to fear for the future is that we forget the way the Lord has led us in the past. And I know, Tim, that I'm forgetting a phrase in there somewhere. But uh, the general gist is that, is that as we look at our present and as we look at the future, we can trust the Lord if we remember the, what he has accomplished and what he has done in the past. And so I want us to look at that this, mor uh, this morning as we move into the afternoon. And if you'll turn your Bibles with me to the book of Micah. The book of Micah in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, just after the book of Jonah, 
and just before the book of Nahum, the book of Micah. Now in the time of Micah, now in the time of Micah, we see a people living in a world of trouble. And they were having trouble similar to many of the troubles that we have now. They were a people living in a world of turmoil and great trials. Leaders, governmental leaders who used their privilege and power to take the possessions and the property and the hard-earned money from the people. Micah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We see government and religious leaders that, that were treating people with disrespect, treating people inhumanely and without regard for who they are as, as individuals. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We see a people that are, that are troubled by, by the spiritual leaders that are, that are selectively interpreting God's mercy to en- enhance their own financial gain. Spiritual leaders who, who seem more interested in drawing out the money of the people rather than truly interpreting and, and sharing the mercy of God with his people. These issues and more are what God is speaking to in Micah's most famous verse, the one we know, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, right? We know this one, to do what? Justice, to love mercy, and to walk what? Humbly with your God. So God addresses this through the prophet Micah. But it was not just the governmental leaders and it was not just the the spiritual leaders that were causing trials and troubles for these individuals. It was also something that was going on within their own hearts. In fact, Micah chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us that, that Micah says, one of the reasons I wrote this book is to confront Israel or to declare to Israel and Judah their transgressions and their sins. Folks, the trials and the troubles we have in this world are never just because of our governmental leaders. They're never just because of our spiritual leaders. They're never just because of the family members we have around us. They're never just because of the colleagues we work with. Some of the trials and troubles we have are because of our own personal choices to walk in the ways of sin. So there's trouble that these people are having. Trouble with their leaders, trouble with their own sin. But they are also dealing with external threats, threats beyond the walls of their nation, threats beyond the walls of their church, threats beyond even their own personal choices. Uh, They are dealing with the external threats of others trying to harm them from the outside. At the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, we find three parallel paragraphs. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And each one of these paragraphs includes the description of an approaching disaster. It's a warning of an approaching disaster. Micah is sharing with the people there is a disaster coming. The nation is facing a a, a disaster in the future. But then the paragraph shifts and there is also a promise of deliverance by God. So in 4, 9 through 10, there's a, there's, a, there's a warning of disaster, and then there's a promise of deliverance. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, a warning of disaster, and then a promise of deliverance. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, a warning of disaster, preparation, and then a promise of deliverance. Similar to what we see in John chapter 16 and verse 33, a warning of trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but... Take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise of 
deliverance, a promise of a better future. We see the same thing in Micah taking place. Of these three paragraphs in Micah, it is the third that I want us to spend a few more moments on this morning. So Micah chapter 5, Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. What we read today in our scripture, Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid, laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. In this world you will have trouble. The trouble here that God is speaking of to the, the, to the people, to his people, uh, that Micah is addressing is the trouble of the Assyrians that are laying siege to their city. They're outside their walls, uh, closing off their food supply, closing off their water supply, uh, making it impossible for them to receive deliverance. And, and the Bible says, muster your troops. In other words, prepare to fight them. But then the Bible lets them know that they're not going to be victorious in the immediate. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. In other words, indicating that, that they will ultimately lose this battle. There is this warning of disaster, this warning of trial, of trouble. But then there is a promise of deliverance. But this promise of deliverance is different than those that came in the previous two paragraphs in the book of Micah. As Leslie Allen in the New International Commentary of the Old Testament refers to it, and I love what he calls verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. He refers to, to verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. There's the warning of trouble. And then Allen wrote, Then God inserts a divine apostrophe. A divine apostrophe. An apostrophe indicates possession. And in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5, God lays down that, that, that possessive apostrophe on Bethlehem, on Judah, upon Israel, and really upon all humanity. An apostrophe of promise that, that God will ultimately send not just any deliverer, but a supreme deliverer that will rule over the world with goodness and grace. A, a promise that God is watching over us and that ultimately we are his and he has our best interest in mind. A promise that good is ultimately coming. But you, O Bethlehem, verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from the ancient of days. Continue on, verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And he shall be their peace. But you, O Bethlehem, right there at the very beginning of chapter 5 and verse 2, there is a, a, a recognition, there should be a recognition in our minds of who is being spoken of here. Who was born in Bethlehem that we remember at this time of year a little louder? Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6 actually refers to Micah to the, to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, in, in addressing Jesus' birth. O you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, 
Israel. Other language in, this, in these verses uh, let us know also that this is Jesus who is being spoken of. The Bible refers to this, to this deliverer as the one from of old, from the ancient of days. He shall stand and shepherd his flock, the Bible says. He, shall be, he will be called their peace. Ancient of days hearkens us back to uh, the, the, the judgment scenes in the book of Daniel. And we know from Matthew chapter 25, the Bible tells us that all judgment and authority has been given unto Jesus. He is our judge. Jesus is our great shepherd. It says that our shepherds shall stand and shall shepherd his people. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 refers to Jesus as the great shepherd. Jesus is our peace. The Bible refers to in chapter five, verse two, it says, and he shall be their peace. Jesus is our peace as referenced 52 times in 26 different verses in the New Testament. In these few verses, over and over and over again, we see clearly that Micah chapter five is not just speaking of any old deliverer, not just speaking of another king or another prophet or another general, but Micah chapter five is speaking of the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ, our shepherd, our deliverer. The people in the days of Micah were dealing with trouble, trouble with a bad leadership, bad government, bad spiritual leaders, trouble in the form of consequences for their own sins, trouble from, from those outside forces seeking to harm them and to destroy their way of life. Trouble, trouble, trouble. And in the midst of this is a promise, but not just any old promise, the ultimate promise to every follower of God that existed before the birth of Jesus, the promise of the Messiah. God says, Tragedy and trouble is coming. But hold on, because out of Bethlehem, a promise will come, the promise of Messiah. O Bethlehem, effort that. The very name that Jesus, uh, the very city that, that God chose and, and the God had chose to have Jesus born out of conveys the idea of hope. And in this moment, it conveys an idea of, of hope and and, and joy. O Bethlehem of Ephrathat. Bethlehem means house of bread, and Ephrathat means fruitfulness. The, these would conjure up visions far different from the present spectacle that, that, that the people were facing in the days of Micah. They are under siege. Their food supply is being cut off. Their water supply is being cut off. But God says, I want you to think of these two places, the place of the house of bread and the place of fruitfulness, and remember that a deliverer is coming. I have said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this, but how can we be sure? How can we be sure that truly there is a better day coming out of these troubled times in which we live? What have I done in the past is I believe the answer that Jesus would give to us. If we said, Jesus, how can we trust you? Jesus would say, what have I done in the past? Have I given you evidence? You see, the message of Micah is this. The message of Micah is this. Hope in a promise that involves waiting. Hope in a promise that involves having faith, faith that, that the promise will come true even though we wait. Developing confidence in the one who has made the promise even though there is a season of waiting. Possessing a degree of peaceful assurance even in the midst 
of our troubled waiting. Micah was written in the late 8th century. That means about 700 to 740 B.C. That means more than 600 years, more than 600 years before Jesus was born, more than 600 years before the prophecy was fulfilled. God was saying to the people, there is a better day coming, but you have to wait. The world of Micah and the people he was ministering to were troubled, just as we are troubled now. But God asked them to believe in a promise, a promise that none of them would see in their lifetimes. But he asked them to still believe, to trust that a better day was coming. Christmas reminds us to live under the banner of that same appeal because Christmas is a reminder of the fulfillment of the promise in Micah chapter five and verse two. A deliverer is coming. In this world, you will have trouble, but wait, but trust, but believe a better day is coming. God says to us, as I promised Micah, yes, time went by, 600 years went by, but ultimately my promise was fulfilled and the Messiah came. God says, I I promise it to you now and you can be confident, just as sure as that baby was born in Bethlehem, you can be sure that I will come again. I have said these things to you, Jesus said, so that you may have peace. And then the very next thing he says is you will have, what? Trouble. Those seem to be total contradictions. I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. See, the Christmas season can be about a lot of things. We can enjoy the nativity simply for the romanticized, clean little spot that it was. We can enjoy the songs. We can enjoy the family. We can appreciate the food. We can appreciate all kinds of things about Christmas, the beauty of the decorations. But one of the greatest gifts of things like Christmas, holidays like Christmas, is that it, it can be used by God to draw our hearts and minds to remember that just as he promised a baby and that baby came, so too we can trust that the promised deliverance will come for each and every one of us. We have a season here in which we are living in troubled times. And maybe rather than ignoring the troubled times that exist all around us and trying to shut them out just for these few happy weeks, maybe we should remember that yes, in this world we will will have trouble. But just as God promised a deliverer in the days of Micah, God has promised a deliverer to us now And our only thing we need to fear for the future is that we forget that that baby came and God's promise was fulfilled. And our king will come and the promise will be fulfilled. Let us pray. We thank you, Jesus, for this season. It's not about gifts we give to one another, not about food or lights or music. It's not about the celebrations or the trees the decorations. But we thank you that this season can be a reminder 
that while we wait, we can still trust that just as you came the first time, you will come again. Let us live in that peace, Jesus, not ignoring the troubles, but recognizing that as you are true to your promises in the past, you will be true to your promises in the future, and we one day will see you face to face. Until then, Lord, give us peace in the trouble and give us hope for the future. In your name we pray, amen.